Welcome to It Is What It Is, the podcast, with me, Danielle Bridge. On our show, we catch up with guests to talk about all sorts of things, including our job, mental health, relationships, and basically everything that we humans experience as we navigate through life. How to build an anti-racist brand. So since the killing of George Floyd in 2020, the term anti-racist has been used to describe the work needed to tackle this issue. And today I discuss how to build the initiative into a brand and the ramifications if you do not. My friend and mentor Colette Philip Keane and I discuss what this really means and how to go about it. And I was looking and thinking, what next? And I explored getting senior within that organisation that didn't work out. Um, and we'll come on to why that is, because that also fueled why I do what I do right now. Mm. Um, but uh, so that didn't work out. Um, and then I was like, actually, but I, I can't stay here anymore. I'm feeling very um, stifled. I'm feeling like I don't have any space to grow. And actually, I and then I started looking around for other jobs and looking around thinking, I've done this. I've done this challenge. And so I took a career break and I literally won in the middle of the night, I just woke up and I was like, oh, do you know what I need to do? I need to set up my own thing now. And it should be my own brand consultancy and it should be called Brand By Me. And it should be about brands that drive positive change. Um, and that's exactly five years later what we're doing. What we've done over the time has refined that, mostly actually through the clients we work with and attract, because I think... Um, you were someone that said to me when I was when we worked together, you said, I don't know why people aren't biting off your hand for this work. And I was like, because the language of brand and brand strategy is overused and mm. everybody calls themselves a brand strategist. If they touch a brand, if they write one bit of copy, if they write a headline, if they're an influencer, they call themselves a brand strategist. And actually, it's like, that's not what you do. It's cool what you do, but it's not what you do. Brand strategy is all about, and, and what we do at Brand Me, brand strategy is all about helping organizations understand who they are, what they stand for, and how they do what they do, where, how they do what they do in a way that drives action. And specifically for Brand By Me, as we work with our clients, drives social impact. Mm -hmm. What happens? Um, so that's where we were, and we're working with brands. It was really, I always say this. We always work with brands that are at the sharp end of social change. So it's not the causes that are kind of, there are causes, and much as I hate this about the world, there are some causes that are more attractive and for people and easier to sell. Yeah. And there are some which people really struggle to get their heads around, but are absolutely what the world needs. And we work with the latter. And what that's given us um, is a really good methodology around building brands and identifying the levers of brands that are going to really embed and drive that change, drive that social change. And, and so when um, the kind of, yeah, so, and so that's where it came from. And over time, just through working with clients, but also then, through the conversations and the causes and the um, just the, the dialogue around this stuff that that's exposed us to, we just had this breadth of sort of understanding about different ways to deliver and achieve justice in the world and a really good sense of what, what how brand strategy fits into that. And even for organisations, whether you are an organization, whichever way you're coming at it, at it. So whether you're 
a change organization so like you're a charity or a social enterprise who's got social justice at the heart of your mission and you're like mm, we need a brand and nowhere to start yes we can help if you're a brand and you're like we need to help these minoritized and marginalized audiences and we want to do something here and we think we can do something we think we want to do whether it's a partnership or something we're like yes we can help you kind of embed that social justice into your brand so it works um and, and that's, that's why that's why we yeah. used you right so yeah. as not my my organization abc life support which i'm the chief exec for in the beginning well actually not what in the beginning halfway through our kind of existence we had a problem with trying to validate who we were as a social enterprise and make sure that we were hitting the targets and the delivering impact for the for the people that we wanted to deliver impact to and I remember speaking to you and saying to you Colette I've, I just feel like a fraud you know I just feel like we're just taking people's money delivering training and we say we're a social enterprise but nobody can see it you know no one can it's not tangible how do we make that the very core of what it is that we do at ABC Life Support and I remember you saying that that work will needs to be transparent through everything you do and the choices and the partnerships that you have in your in your conversations in your delivery and actually that for me was a light bulb moment and a really powerful one which we now have as a legacy within our business and also going back to what you said earlier about everybody being a brand strategist I remember speaking to somebody about before I, I came to you and said you know we need help with our brand you know who we are and I remember um, a woman I can't remember what networking meeting it was that I saw or maybe I can, but I'm just not going to mention it, <laughs> who, said, um, who said, oh, you know, I work in brand and, you know, if you need um, any uh, of, of your business cards or your, you know, your marketing and stuff, then that's what I do. I work on brand. And I was like, uh, that's not it. That's, that is literally not what I need. I need to have an understanding of what my business means at its very core. And you really helped us with that, you know. So it is really important, especially as a business that, direct social change yeah and and that's and that's exactly what we did and, and also just adding to that thinking about it and we also specialized i guess and this was actually where it got a bit tricky maybe three it was great for about the first two and a half stroke three years and then to hit year three four we hit some kind of pains because we were specializing in brands that had Big ambition, but small teams. Mm. Because I, honestly, this is a very personal choice. I looked at this and I didn't want to scale and become this huge agency and or even an agency, you know, beyond. We've got a very tiny team at Brand By Me and actually work with a lot of freelancers. But um, so it, I also was very specific about the type of brands and businesses and, and the size that I'd want to work with. They needed to be willing, and I had I developed sort of levels of this. So at one level, and that was it, ambitious founders like you, Danielle, who were all about, actually it was about big ambition, but very tiny team, because actually that for me is joyful work. It was, depending on the founders, and they, I mean, I could pick it, very joyful work, but also quite simple and quite quick to turn around mm. um, and one-on-one -on -one work. I love doing that. And that was one, that was one level. Then it was sort of medium-sized organizations who go from the brand being everybody and, and the organization being everyone around a table and we just kind of do it to, oh my God, we're starting to get teams because that sort of growth is really tricksy. And by being super clear about those audiences, that medium-sized charities and having medium-sized charities, organizations, businesses, but that medium-sized, 
people also, as you scale up, you suddenly have money to invest and you need to invest it wisely. So I was like, yes. And therefore, and it's the kind of organization that if you then went to an agency, loads of your budget would go on overhead and actually not mm. the result. So it actually worked. And, and that went worked brilliantly for about three years until everything gets a bit more competitive agencies picked up on this certain agencies and and this whole conversation about everyone being brand i started seeing this theme of i started like seeing this theme of digital agencies that would say oh yeah we'll do your brand strategy and then we'll do your website for you but we'll mm. do your brand strategy free because we'll do the website work we can just do and they'd throw in like one half asked excuse my language <laughs> like barely workshop and then they'd actually brand strategy and i'd be like no it's not and then, and but people didn't, you know, you, you know that thing, you don't know what you don't know. Amen, you don't know. know. And, then, right. and I heard the same thing, PR agencies. Now, of course, don't move forward 18 months. Those, those you know, those organisations that did that fundamentally came unstuck on both sides. So the agency would come unstuck because their clients like, this not worked and it's actually led us in the wrong direction. The brand would come up because they're like, it's not worked. And that, that doesn't benefit anyone. And I, and I spoke to, and I, I know this was a trend because I spoke to at least four different agencies who had done that and then were asking me to come in and as a brand strategist independently and undo some of the stuff that wow. they'd done because they hadn't done what they're doing. So I guess, but but that was, I guess that was the, the sweet spot, only about focusing in on that, the kind of what I used to call the sharp end of social change, mm -hmm. which now I understand is social justice. Um, and then also being very specific about who we're for. And actually, that is pretty much, they're, they're two things that really led us to what we're doing now very yes. now now so work. yeah perfect and that's a beautiful kind of place to stop now just to think about the over saturated market in terms of brand for people that don't know what brand is you realizing there were these big businesses trying to take this market share and causing all sorts <laughs> of situations and then you pivoted so can you tell me a little bit about what happened at that point and why you then became very niche in your direction? I mean, I've always loved niche. I don't do broad <laughs> things. I love niche. I'm, but I, don't, I think part of it comes from being a brand strategist. I love niche. I think it's better if you're specific about who you're for and, and you know, what you're about. I think it's if you can be as specific as possible, I think it's better. Um, but I so... I said to you about three or four years in, it got a bit tricksy as that started happening. Also, we were work we work a lot in the charity sector at this time, and and it we've gone through points like at this time probably sort of still think about like 2018, 2019, we're probably working in the charity sector exclusively even, and then Brexit impact. The Brexit at that point uncertainty it was before Brexit actually happened, but the uncertainty of it was quite slow to hit the charity sector. So it started hitting commercial businesses first, and then it suddenly hit the charity sector in a number of ways. One, in terms of everything from um, funding pots to currency projections, if people worked across different regions. Um, and a very unexpected one was um, lots of legislation that needed to go through to create funding and, and to give charities kind of their existence was stalled because if you remember back to like 2019, the endless rounds of debates mm. around Brexit, just the endless rounds talk of debate around the different talk, Brexit plans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, so everything just stalled. So we lost, like we had lots of work that was just kind of put on hold because oh sorry, our funding and all this. And so that was the back end of 2019. 
so we started to think so we already started to think and I was kind of as as founder I'm going okay so what else how else can I do this and so I've sort of started developing something really interesting around personal brand which is something I love to do and I feel quite strongly personal brand I started seeing it when I was doing personal brand I started by doing individuals one-on-one work and then talks Mm. did talks and I did talk on personal brand and I remember the first one I did and I remember looking at the audience and seeing people who were from minoritized backgrounds. So for example, the people of color in the room, many of the women in the room were the ones that were sitting up, everyone was interested and engaged, but they were the ones that were sitting up and taking notice. And afterwards, they'd come to me and be like, that's really, you know, I I just, I've always felt like I couldn't be myself at work, I've had to felt something else. And you just saying, you know, talking about the power of personality and the importance of purpose and values, and I was like, yes, there's something in this. And the reason I, I see, it might seem like I've gone on piste, but that led me to actually, these ev- already sort of, we're talking back in the 2019, beginning of 2020, organizations were wanting to invest in DNI, right? Diversity and inclusion, DNI, DNI, DNI. And I thought, <laughs> there's an opportunity here. I am, you know, obviously as a black woman, but with my brand strategy head on and this personal brand element, no one's really talking about personal brand in the sort of space of equipping people to be their authentic selves. Mm-hmm. So part of people often with DNI are like, yeah, be your whole self, bring your whole self to work. Yeah, mm-hmm. be your authentic self. And I'm like, cool. I mean, have you created the culture for that? Have you equipped people for that? Have yeah. you, what have safe? you done? And, is and it safe for that? Yeah. Is it safe for that? Absolutely. It's a hundred percent safe. And if it's not, then, and that's the work that we start to do. At personal brand, as not, you know, I'm going to move into DNI. I'm not really interested in that. I, you know, I love brand strategy. This is, the, this is the core and the reason for being for brand by me. But actually spotting an opportunity, also trying to take just future-proof the business so it's not just all charity sector, took us into this sort of looking at the power of brand for minoritized groups through personal brand. So we started to do that, do workshops with um, corporates and, you know, do, do get speaking gigs around. I, I as personal as a founder, got speaking gigs around that. And we started to do that. And that was looking pretty promising. And then lockdown hit in March 2020. And that, yes. and literally pipeline work disappeared overnight. So yeah. you had kind of a crappy year because of Brexit uncertainty and stuff, followed by then very promising start of business. And then, you know, again, lockdown, just all that went. Mm. And so you said about a pivot, it, 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 I got used to get really annoyed when I was thinking about pivots because it, when people talk about it, it made it sound like you have to change the entire ethos of your business and everything you stand for and start again with something mm. completely new. And I'm like, I do know businesses that had to do that. I met one really recently, a guy that was running um, a music kind of workshop consultancy and ended up opening a pizza shop. That's right, a pivot. That's for a me. pivot. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Yeah. That's a pivot. And and but when he talked through it, it made sense with who he was. It was a part. He loves food. It was part. It was basically him taking his personal brand and building it into a business, that sort of thing. But anyway, um, and I, um, uh, and so yeah, it wasn't so much. It was, but it wasn't pivot. I, I was suddenly like everybody, even before. So even before the resurgence of Black Lives Matter and the murder of George Floyd, there was a lot of talk about under minoritized groups and widening inequities due to the pandemic and it you know things like they then you know who was 
dying from COVID-19. It's people of colour, right? It's this sort of thing. So there was this, this, and so there started to already be a wider conversation about inequity that couldn't be ignored. Mm. And then, and, and, and again, going, okay, as a black founder and a black woman, and this brand strategy experience that really gets into the core of who organizations are and what they stand for, there's a space. There's a space for this. And actually, I thought that space would be personal brand for minoritized groups, but personal brand for talent, personal brand for up and coming leaders, that sort of thing, which is part of what we do. But the murder of George Floyd and the way that that captured headlines and the way that catapulted racial justice to the forefront of the agenda and the conversations, you couldn't have predicted, no, right? You no. couldn't have predicted. It was like this global movement. And like many people, I mean, we spoke about it at the time, it just knocked me on my backside, right? Mm. Like everybody else, you're like, because all of a sudden, and I, I, we've talked about this, Danielle, but for me, my parents were very upfront about talking to me about racial justice. And I've had enough experience in my career to have experienced racism professionally in every single job I've had. Mm. And I had already started speaking out on that ever since I set up my own business. My first LinkedIn article I ever did was called How to Speak Up in the Silence. And it was about my time in advertising and the racism in my experience. Um, there's a, now a, a, a group called Charity So White that was started as a hashtag on Twitter. And it's now a campaigning group within the charity sector. I was one of the people that was participated in that, hash, that first hashtag and shared my story under that hashtag. I was one of the first people to do it. So it's not, it wasn't new to me to speak about race and racial mm. justice. I was very, even, but, and even for me, who absolutely not only has spoken out about kind of racial injustice and in a world where we, we wouldn't talk about it. And I was, you know, I was speaking about it anyway, just on a personal level, not through mm. grammar, just on a personal level, because I'm like, I'm, I'm out of the industry now. So I can talk about this stuff. Right, and yeah. I need to because mm. people in the industry can't and it needs to be surfaced. That's my that was my perspective. So even with that, it's still not me on my backside. And you're seeing it, and then you're seeing this. And, and every time this happens, it really annoys me. This sort of sympathy response. Oh, that's awful. Poor people. And you're like, no, mm. no. Actually, that's not the response. The response is not sympathy. No, absolutely. The response not. is look at your racist, look at your racism, and and think about how you are part of the problem. That mm. is the response. Do not. So I so and I was so not on my bum because I could see a bit of this and I was getting really annoyed. And then I and then I got approached by a, 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 an, an organisation, a charity, who. Uh, had been given my name by someone as like, because they needed some, the brand team were like, our organization isn't really doing anything about anti-racism. We've all been on a program of learning, the brand and communications team, and they were like, we want to do something and we want to do look at it, but, but we need to look at it from a brand point of view. And we don't know where to start. Could you help us? And I was like, actually, yes. Because I, not just, oh yeah, I'm black, yes, let me help. But over the sort of, I guess this was maybe, that if that, if that was May, this might have been towards the back end of June. Over that time, I'd actually been doing my own journey of reflection and learning and reading and stuff around this because I thought actually, I, you know, I thought I was like, I, I feel like I am, I've got some really good lived experiences to share, 
but also I need to interrogate my own internalized racism. You know, there's yeah. work to be, you know, when they say do the work. Do the work. We Let's all did the work. Be clear about yes. what do the work means. It means the self-reflection. Absolutely. It means the interrogating racism. It means the taking the the, the hard choice to um, stand up and tackle and speak out against racism in all its forms, even if it looks uncomfortable, even whatever. And as a black woman, I was like, as a black woman with my own business, I'm pretty independent. People can't tell me what to do. And I, I do what I want. And there's no impact. Sorry. <laughs> And there's no people your clients. I'm like, sorry, if people don't want to work with a black woman then, and a yeah. black woman business, they ain't gonna come to me anyway. <laughs> so clear, yeah. The people that will be bothered by me speaking out about racism are never ever gonna be clients of Brown Mummy in a absolutely no. So I was like, there is pretty little I, I I there's no consequence here for me stepping into power and speaking out. There is a consequence if I don't know what I'm talking about. So that's where I started doing, that's where I started doing, like, as I said, doing the work. And actually, I, I've always found this area of minoritized groups, you know, from my background in the charity sector, from my, my just my, my thing about social justice, I really am interested anyway. And I was like, so I started reading. And then, so when this organization came to me, I was like, yeah, I could probably help. <laughs> anyway, we went through a whole process of proposal, this sort of thing, and it was looking really promising. Meetings booked in the diary, all of a sudden got a call from the director saying, I'm really sorry to do this. And I am, I'm beyond devastated, but our CEO has just turned around the leadership meeting and said, no, he does, they, they don't believe in um, structural racism and they don't. <sighs> wow. Yeah. And I was like, wow. wow. And so obviously I was devastated and I'm like, really? And then I was speaking to um, colleagues at Charity So White because I was doing something. I was doing some training that they were offering. I was doing some training and I was just speaking to them about it, openly sharing. And they were like, well, do it anyway. Do this. Do it anyway. That's a bit of work. Do it. Start talking about it. Do it. And I was like, yeah, I could do it anyway. And that's where Building Anti-Racist Brand was born because I'm like, yes, I can do this anyway. And I did. And now, and I did do it. And I went <laughs> and then... I went and I spoke, I spoke, I, 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 I partnered with Charity Cons and did an event about it. And then I, people started asking me off the back of that event, people were like, yes, we really need this. Can, can you help us with it? And now that's a thriving area of consultancy. And we're also not only building anti-racism into brands, I'm doing one bit of work with Welcome Trust, which is building anti-racism and anti-ableism into brands. So we're working, it's an intersectional piece of work. And I'm working with a disability-led equity consultancy to look at that and you and I'm now and and every time I do these bits of anti-racist brand work it builds and you learn more and I feel like as a and I've started launching these masterclasses where um we're bringing brands it's called the hot seat because we're bringing brands into the hot seat to talk about what they're doing and because part of this stuff is also I realize about that learning journey it's also as all this is for businesses and organizations they want to keep it as like their intellectual property and not as ours and I'm like no because everybody let's be clear in a structurally racist world everybody needs to show their work and learning because that's actually collectively we need to make an impact societal level and industry level learning and that can't happen if people are doing stuff behind closed doors also and this is where the brand situation comes in where you, you it, don't get me wrong, this doesn't cut across. I want to be really clear. This wasn't me going, mm, let me spot an opportunity and move into DNI. Absolutely not. This is just the world telling me, and you know this, we talked about it, when you're clear on your purpose, suddenly, when you're clear on your purpose, suddenly you'll get a light. And you said this is why the light bulb is in our logo, mm. because you suddenly get this like ding, 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 and it will go, that's the opportunity for you. Yeah. And if you're clear on your purpose, 
you can see it, then you're like, yeah, that really fits. If you don't, you don't have a clue when people, because people come to me all the time. Could you do this? Could you talk about this? I'm like, nah. Yes, but actually, when you're clear on your purpose and someone says to you, Colette, yes, you should be doing this. You should be helping brands embed anti-racism into brand strategy. I looked at it and was like, yeah, hell yes, I should be. Mm-hmm. And that's what that's about. You're listening to It Is What It Is, the podcast. We hope you're enjoying this episode as we strive to bring you interesting conversations about the things that really matter. If you'd like to hear more, please subscribe. But for now, let's get back to that conversation. I love it. Love it so much, Susan. I get so excited when I speak to you about this because I, I remember when I first met you and we were talking about you doing some work for, 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 the, for ABC and you were talking about your experiences of racism within your organisation and you just when we were getting to know each other and I remember you talking about it and I, at that time, had never inadvertently experienced racism at work from what I can pick up and I remember when the when when George Floyd was was murdered and you and I had some very very deep and meaningful conversations where I was shocked and I was in pain and I was just I just didn't know where to go with it and you came with that experience that you'd lived through and your knowledge of that experience really helped me to understand that this isn't new, it's never been new. And obviously I know that as a black woman, but in your face stuff, do you know what I mean? In your face, an organisation saying, well, it doesn't exist or, you know, we're not like that. You know, I've seen sad conversations. And actually, I talk about the sympathy response, right? Because, and when I say about sympathy response, I, I want to be clear, the sympathy response from white people, I have to be absolutely clear about yeah. and name what that is. That is entirely inappropriate for exactly what you've just said. Like when people we and we're all reeling from it, right? Because but the minute imagine like it's stuff I know, racism has been stuff that we've talked about it around the dining room table with my family since I was about six. Mm-hmm. Cause you have to. That's very different to you suddenly on Instagram and someone saying, and, and it's just there or on Instagram, or you know, someone emailing me. I remember this, I had an email. Yeah, so really wanted to just know, what do you think I can do? What are you emailing me for? <laughs> Out of the blue in my brand by me address when I'm talking about brand strategy. Yeah, yeah, emailing yeah. me to ask me what you can do about racism. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. now I have a response. But at the time I was like, what? This all <laughs> happened in May. And overnight this happened. So you're, everyone's in, you know, everybody's had, everyone's lived experiences as an individual. We've just, we shared ours. Mm. Very different. Lived experiences as an individual. So you're trying to grapple that. You're seeing this horrifying traumatic scenes of like just just awfulness playing out and then you're seeing people going yeah just an american you're like hang on yeah yeah no yeah, that yeah, happens no, here no. i know that's oh no but not here and i'm like sorry organizations where i'm like i've been in your organization and experienced racism saying yeah no not us and i'm like mm, yes you what you're the worst an industry that i used yes. to work within advertising <laughs> industry where i used to work within going yeah, no, oh, it's such a shame. But we're really focused on DNA, and I'm like, cool. <laughs> why does every black person I speak to in advertising have a horrible time then? Yeah, why? Yeah, yeah. Now, and why a decade after I worked in the industry, are we still having this as a conversation? Yes. You're not even moving into action yet. Yeah. Why? So this, and you know, and it's this sort of anger and this frustration, and you go, and then people are like, oh, yeah. yeah. And it's that frame yeah, of reference. You're right. It's that frame of reference, your frame of reference. And that conversation for me was, uh, you know, I, I I do not shy away from the conversation. Last year, nearly broke me, you know, in with with a lot of collective stuff, the pandemic, and a lot of, you know, problems around racism. My own experiences, which I will share on on this podcast one of these days. But 
you know, and finally having it all kind of blow up in this ecosystem of stuff and having to look at it, having to look at brands, having to look at organisations, having to look at those communications, those DMs, those messages of, no, it doesn't happen, or messages of, oh my gosh, I never knew that that was actually a thing, Danielle, or, you know, all sorts of things that were coming on. Taking it back to that business and that brand piece, did that guy ever come back to you? <laughs> oh, he still does. <laughs> Honestly, not for work now. They're not, I think, to be honest, I, I'm not speaking out to and I'm, I'm pretty sure that, that a number of people have left that organisation as a result mm. of this, to be honest. Like, people are leaving. So, I, I know, and we're still in touch. And I think the, the, the thing is, that's, that's a safety point for me. You know, when we talked about, is it safe to do so? Mm. A safety point for me is that I do not do this work with organisations that have not undergone anti-racism training and are not willing to accept organisationally the yeah. existence of structural racism in the sector, not just yeah. in the world, in the sector and within their organisation. I can't work with you if you don't accept that. Yeah. And I mean everybody. I can't work with that because I, I can't I can't step it's into safe. that space as a black woman. And, and it's not safe for me to yeah. do that work. I'm sorry, it yeah. isn't. I can never do that. So that, that means that for that organisation, I, I will never work with them while they're in that space. And I'm not... There are some people that take organisations and individuals from that space to a space where they're understanding racism. That's not brand by me. That's not... I work mm. with organisations who are on their journey to understanding anti-racism and what it looks like for their organisation and understand what the role of the brand is within, what the role of the brand is, what the role of their communications is. And when I say communications, not just their outward-facing communications, I mean the way they communicate as an organisation is within that mm. and what they can do about it. So it's quite specific. So they've got to be ready. They've got to be ready. To, they've, yeah, they've done, they've done ready. the work. Then now they're ready to implement this stuff. Yeah, right? you've done the work. And now you're, because otherwise what happens is you do the work and then the brand undermines it, but not because of the brand team or anything like that. It's because there's a few reasons. One is because in a structurally racist society and world, obviously brands are a reflection of the world around us. And if the mm. world around us looks a certain way or, or prizes or prioritizes a certain things based on that structure, of course, brands are going to reflect that. The second reason is because a lot of the ecosystem around brands, so the agencies and the way that production's done and the way that casting's done is fundamentally also really racist. So of course you've got, you know, you've got, you've just got racist structures that beget more racist structures that beget more racist structures. So you sort of need to break that whole ecosystem down and look at every level what you need to do differently, mm. which means you need a brand and comms person that can do that for you yeah. and somebody outside of your organization, because if it's you and you're within an organization, it will break you doing it. I'm sorry. It just will. Yes. And I see that time and time again, I see it with organizations like, yeah, don't worry. Our employee network are going to do this. And I'm like, absolutely not. They can't do this. Really? What, what label are you putting on them? <laughs> yes. do this? No, absolutely not. Not your yeah. employee network. Pay the money and get someone else Somebody to do else it. Somebody else in because it's not their, that's, yeah, that's, that's the issue, you need isn't the experience it? And the, and, the, mm. and the experience, professional experience too. You need both. Mm. It's not one or the other. It is, right. It's interesting. You've just mentioned there about it's a lot for people to take on board and actually one thing I wanted to ask you because you and I again in our personal lives have spoken very much and very openly about this but how when and actually a couple of things how do you first of all protect yourself when you're dealing with things that are potentially toxic and potentially impactful to your own mental health and second of all what tips do you have for people to be able to separate themselves from that if they're doing this kind of work it's a really, really good question. And it's something actually um, a friend of mine put some, put us a shout, uh, like an ask on Twitter, the very same question, because 
um, he's recently started doing anti-racism consultancy and, and you know, was finding it a lot, as you do. I think there's a number of ways I've done. And this was something I actually learned. I, I learned by doing and learned the experience because I will be honest, I'm not very good at switching off. I can be, I can make work everything and I'm not very good at switching off. So I, the first thing, and this was something I had to do during George Floyd, it was just take myself off social media. Yeah, we I literally did. had we both did, I remember. an app block on my phone and I just put it on, whoop, the can't, you know, and, and then when I say social media, even WhatsApp, because not obviously WhatsApp is how I communicate with my family, but it's also, I've got a few professional groups that suddenly became very just triggering around this stuff. And I was like, yes. so WhatsApp block, weekends, that's it. But the app block would have go on all social media silence. We'd tell my family that you need to go hold of me, you need to text me, old school text, because I ain't going to be on WhatsApp. No WhatsApp. And, and, and I can't be on WhatsApp because it's blocked. WhatsApp is blocked. <laughs> I can't, literally a black block on my phone. Yeah. Um, the second thing I did, and this is something as well, this is silly, but you need to find leisure pastimes that completely allow you to switch off and take your brain you know how we're in that whirring brain yeah. stuff so a few things very joyful for me joyful exercise like yes. i said you my dance fitness videos i love those love because them. it just takes me into a space you know obviously walking my dog does that too although your head can still work but actually he's so naughty you need to try to <laughs> him. you can't be doing like can't look at anything he could be really naughty so that helps um, I think um, I do actually. This is this is a silly one, but it really works for me. Is gaming, like gaming, particularly little games on my phone, little sort of puzzle games or stuff. Because it, I've got a mind that whirs, and I and I'm, I'm a strategist. I spend a lot of time on my head. So to switch off, I can't necessarily. It gets to sometimes when I can't even watch TV. I can't listen to anything. I'm not very good at listening uh, to things. I'm very good listener. I had to develop, <laughs> develop that at work. But when it comes to things like ironically podcasts. I have to be in a space for them because otherwise it's just a lot of noise in my mm. head. I can't, I, my head can't cope with it. But I found that puzzling and I like puzzles anyway. I like how my brain works, Scrabble, Pubble, anything like that. I love puzzles like that. Anything like that's really good mm. because it still keeps my mind occupied, like the, the thinking bit of my mind occupied, but it's not, it takes up the space. That means I can't be thinking about this stuff. It's fully immersive, and, um, isn't it? You're in it. There's no yes. space for anything else and to pop in. Immersive yet. spaces. And then also, Having and this, I think, is really important for me. And this has been absolutely essential. And this is where I really value our relationship. You need to find people that you can come and have this core conversation with. The very not people that are like you need to find people that are actively doing the work. And I, there are a number of people I speak to about this, and I've cultivated those relationships over this time actually. And I really, mm. obviously, ours was way before that. But there are people that I've cultivated relationships with over this time, and specifically, we do that. We create space for each other to do this, to come in, to decompress, to share frustrations, to talk about how it is to do the work. And that space, um, I also have a husband who's brilliant for this stuff as well. He's proper anti, he's very, he was anti-racist, not just in 2020, he was anti-racist before. Like he absolutely, he was. And, and you would say it's a given because obviously he's white and he has a black wife, but it's not always a given. And actually um, my husband was very much, I didn't have to do the work of explaining to him some of this stuff, which was very useful for me because when you're taking it on professionally, it was useful for me not to have to catch him at up. At home, yeah. Um, yeah, at home. That was super useful. Um, and it also created, and it was also good because sometimes it's very useful to have someone at home that's just like, when you're coming at it from a bit like, am I, 
is this, you know this thing where and it often happens with racism when you're experiencing racism you just kind of like is this me or and everyone has that is this me moment I have it sometimes even you know I have is this me and I'm like is this me or is it super racist? And Lucas it's super is like, racist, that's what it is. Lucas is like, it's racist. Yeah, like, yes. Oh, no. And he, but his, and his reaction is so, his reaction is, he validates it, right? Because yeah. you're like, yes. You need, it's you not can't just me as my black experience. It's him. He's yes. seeing it, he's white. That means he's definitely, yeah, exactly. That, and he's like, and it, and it goes, and it's like, it's not, when I say it validates, it's not, it, it, but it, 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 the strength of his reaction fuels me then because I'm like yes okay thank I don't need to see pop someone I'm sure and this could be this is this is not about color actually this could be a black I've had it with any people of color too where like oh, I'm sure you know they're a good guy I didn't mean it not that I, yeah, I no, can't have that you. response Abs- no thank you and at home I absolutely could not cope if I Definitely. had that response so yeah. I I feel like that's been really good um and I know that I've directed Lucas to some things where he's also been on some of his journey of learning too and I think that's been really important for both of us and it also means that when I can come I was doing this really good I've, and yeah and, and also then but part of it as well so I'll say the learning bit the doing the work thing is also incredibly helpful because if you make sure you're constantly learning on this as well it gives you the muscle to stop things and you build more resilience to it because some of the things that blindside you are because you haven't spotted it or you weren't aware or you're coming into something unknowing. So actually, I think in this, the more that you read, the more that you know, the more that your your experience just expands. I also fundamentally, weirdly think it helps with the um, resilience. You can't obviously do that. You need to be in the right headspace for that. But I, I do find myself, I read way more... Um, books now than I ever did and I love reading <laughs> and anti-racism books I like my job it's really odd like I can't <laughs> read any thing. fiction now I can't read fiction I can't read fiction I've yeah. become that person I'm too literal to read fiction I'm like when I read fiction I'm like this feels pointless to me I can't read yeah, any yeah, fiction yeah, yeah, yeah. but non-fiction anti-racism books like I'm halfway through um this is why we resist by Dr Shola at the moment and um, Dr Shola uh, Moss Igbamamu I think that's how you pronounce the surname um, and I'm reading This Is Why We Resist. And I'm like, yes, this is why we resist. I read um, Emma um, Dabiri's book, What White People Can Do Next, which is incredible. And I read that and I was like, yes, it really, you know, I read How to Be an Anti-Racist by Ibrahim X. Kendi. That was the first anti-racism book I read. And it obviously, <laughs> the first book, How to Be an Anti-Racist, yes, it started <laughs> at the beginning. And, um, <laughs> and it was just, and it was incredible. Um, and I love reading these books. Like, And I, and even... It's fun, like my husband sometimes likes me, don't you want to switch off? And I'm like, but it is, I find it quite cathartic to read the book. Because mm. I love, but I also, love, I love reading, like I love books. So yeah, it's see, always this been is like, this fascinating is. to me because, and I think, I think the fact that I work in the mental health space daily and I talk a lot about mental ill health as a result of certain triggers. And you and I know how difficult I found it last year with my own mental health as a result of a, the cacophony of hell that was 2020, including my own experience with direct racism, which I had never been through in my life before. And it put me on my ass, right? Like knocked me for six. And so whenever I'm in this space, and it's hilarious because it's the complete opposite to you, Colette, I will sit and watch reruns of MasterChef or I will watch... Um, I, don't, I said to somebody yesterday when I did a talk for the WI women, which was amazing, got them thinking about certain things, that was hilarious, um, about, and I'll watch like American police dramas. I mean, the most 
rubbish, non-realistic fluff that I can find because it takes me away from the realities of day-to-day existence, right? Yeah, I should have added that into the mix. Sorry, I I want to be clear, is that when I really need to switch off from anti-racism work, that's not the time to be anti-racism books, no. Um, I don't read them then, but they do, when I'm in a slightly better headspace and and even in a relaxation mode and in a slightly better headspace, it does help. Mm. No, that. I got to a stage though, I'm so, again, I can't watch anything hard hitting now. No, yeah. nothing. Absolutely not. Yeah. I, 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 and, I, and, I, and it's even got the stage where I like, I like, um, my husband was commenting that I watch a lot of American comedy. I need to just watch comedy, but yes. American comedies as well. Yeah. Um, because they can't be too real. Like, I can't watch, I couldn't watch an EastEnders now. Absolutely no, not. That's too real. <laughs> can't watch that gritty. No. Can't watch anything that's remotely real. Cannot do any real. I can't do, I can't, the only reality, I, this is my non fiction thing, I think. When I'm in this space, my brain gets super literal. And so I can't take anything. It needs to be nourishing. So I can only, the only kind of reality shows I can watch are cooking ones. Mm. So yes, your master chef, your Bake Off, I'm, I'm yeah, loving at the moment, yeah. Bake Off. You have to watch, because, and that's, and sometimes that's the only TV I can watch. And, mm. and sometimes I can't watch any TV. Like sometimes I'll be like, actually, I literally can't look, have this thing, but anything like that. Like, and and you said about reruns as well. Reruns. So I'm currently re-watching The Office US. which yes, I've you've just done that. Box set to box set yeah. so many times. But I'm re-watching it again because just I can't even watch it. I can't even get into a new comedy. So people re- recommend stuff like my sister's all about Ted Lasso on Netflix. I can't do that now mm. because I can't, I can't quite, my head can't move into anything new because that won't be the relaxation. It has to be old things yes. that I've already It's watched. comfort because it's comforting it's comfort. and yeah, you know I what it is that. and you know it's your safe space, right? That's exactly, I mean, the, the, the office, honestly, my, my team here, at work are hilarious they'll come in and go oh did you watch um that really difficult drama on bbc what's it everyone's talking about it. i don't know what it is can't remember they're like are you watching that and i'm like no why why would i be it's dark you know you can see in the advert it's dark and gritty and somebody's dead and somebody's murdered i'm like no i haven't got the headspace for that thank you very much give me some master and it's been a few years actually to be honest but i think last year that that was done for me anything gritty i'm like no now sorry yeah absolutely not um we yeah but and i think this is really and i think the thing about it is and and the really important bit of this is work out what works for you and guard it fiercely Mm. because what people do and i've noted this and this is very bad people go like when i i wasn't watching um what's it called small acts for example and i don't even know i love steve mcqueen as a director i think he's incredible but i don't i don't want to watch that now thank you I, i don't want to watch that when I was saying that, I had people say to me, oh, you're not watching that? Oh, not so hard. And I'm like, sorry, because let me be clear. I, I'm like, I run my, and I was pretty rude with people about it. I'm like, I run my own business. And a big part of what we do is embedding anti-racism into organizations. So therefore, I don't need to show up to do this stuff in my private life because my, my work is all about this. Mm. It's different. I can see why you, person works for whatever, Shell, you might need to feel like you want to, to watching small acts for you might be reparations for your day job, but it's not the case for me, thank you very much. So you don't Amen. need that, that judgment. That judgment, I just don't need the judgy tone. And, and people are quite often judgy when you are doing whatever it takes to protect your boundaries. So whether that might be getting up late, whether it might be having, you know, just a, I have rest day, right? I'm like rest day, I'll spend the whole day in bed. Like, And when I said not in a, sort of depression way in a very joyful my bed Ooh, becomes my camp purposeful my yes. iPad set up and it's my thought yes. and I'm like this like and then I go and make myself something to eat and I take it back to bed and I'm like yes this is lovely that's my rest day doing that sort of thing 
I remember well-meaning friends saying, ooh, Sam's so lazy. I couldn't possibly do that. And I'm like, cool. But I, I, I know what you do in your day job or even not whatever you do. You don't, it's not what I do. So therefore, It doesn't you don't, take you don't get something from you. This is the thing, I think. When you're doing the work that we do, it takes something from you. And you give something in what it is that you do. And what you give is your soul. You give a bit of yourself for the benefit of other people to do really fantastic work. And that is absolutely applaudable. I Seriously, the people that do the work that we do, and if you're listening to this and you're doing impactful work, and it's not saying that every job has to be impactful, that's not what I'm saying at all. But when you are in this space, it's important that people understand that you give a lot, which means that when you are having your downtime, it has to be guarded and it has to be guarded in things that you need to do to fill back up again to be able to carry on the work that we do, which has so much impact yeah and i and i i 100 agree with that and i remember just i said to you as i said a friend of mine shared on twitter um and asked for a shout out for like self-care tips for facilitators and i saw obviously this is going to be a white guy right jump into the chat like inserting himself like well, for me, if something is taking that much energy, I would think that that's not very good consult, uh, con- not very good facilitation. Wow! I was like, sorry, what space are you facilitating? You don't know what you're on about. No, nope, none. That that facilitator, you misunderstood completely. Like we were talking about, anybody else was a facilitator, as you said, anti-racism work, mental health spaces, um, working with people with lived experiences, working with vulnerable people. We're talking about facilitating those spaces. Mm not facilitating some light strategy workshop you know what i mean yeah. it's not it's the same and, and i just remember seeing that person insert themselves well you know i would think that that's not very you know that's not really good facilitation or something like that or maybe you're not able to keep the distance you need as a wow. and i just thought nah you don't understand at all this is no no because no. this is not a space for you absolutely not no and there you go you know that and that again i suppose that leads us to problems with social media and you and i've had conversations about that all day long the irony of the podcast going out is not lost on me (laughs) but you know the fact that people have their opinions when it comes to social media and don't really tend to use any kind of filter that's the pitfall we have right but again knowing when to shut those conversations down and also to know how to do it with um with dignity and protection of your safe space is something that I've, I see an awful lot more people doing now, especially on LinkedIn. They're protecting their space. They are aren't, they are not compromising on, in any way, shape or form, but they're also doing it in a way which cannot be um, taken out of context. It's just clear and direct and people are very clear on that. And I love that because that, again, that comes down to what you said earlier about your vision and your brand and knowing who you are and knowing what you can and cannot get involved in. It becomes very, very, very obvious. You know. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that as well. It? It, it, and that's it. I think it gives you that clarity of, and it and it helps to reinforce. I think the of all the personal brand bits, I think the values bit then becomes essential mm. to this. That's the bit that helps you hone your gut instinct and understand where you want to play and where you don't want to. It also helps you spot that and, and probably safeguard yourself against the people that you know maybe in your life even very close to you. But it helps you sort of buffer yourself for their impact, I guess. Mm. If you're clear on values, you can you can immediately see values misalignment. And then you can go, actually, this is not the person I need to be around me when X happens. Yes. Who so, are and, you and that's people? really important. Yeah. yeah. And and you and the values thing. I, and it's this is where the personal brand stuff, it, it hits deep. I see it in workshops. When, I, when we talk about values, people are like, and you see it. And, I, and we talk also about um, energy vampires. 
versus energy angels because I'm always I always have to say to people when I'm saying you know go out there ask people what they think of you and stuff I always have to caveat it ask these people your cheerleaders your mentors your your supporters that's the people to ask it's not because you need yes people but you do need the positive energy of people that are going to support you and therefore when they give you constructive feedback it still will be supported mm. what you don't need is your energy vampires or people that neg you or people that um you know people that are like you know people that, that like that, that don't, people fundamentally that don't seem to like you very much even if you've been around them for a long time is it something you think actually you don't like me? Maybe you did once like me. You don't like who I am now, or something yeah, like that. I've done something. I might have triggered something. Yeah, yeah. And you know what? That's okay. I think you know you're not. For every... I was speaking to a friend of mine this morning about people in your life entering into your life, not necessarily being who they once were, and that's okay because that's life, oh, yeah. right? It changes. Yeah, we move, and I think that's it. And I think you can. And it, and it's, it's funny. Sometimes we were talking about this. Like I was talking with my friends about this. Because when you're in your 40s, I mean, I did this to be fair. I noticed the difference when I moved from my 20s to my 30s. I I did what's called a, a natural sort of friend co-happen. My friendship group sort of, a few things happened in my life and my friendship group suddenly changed and people just sort of fell away. And I sort of let it happen because I was like, it's cool. Don't get me wrong. I like, you know, those people. I run, so A few people I run into occasionally, it's cool. But you're like, actually, that, that our paths have sort of separated and that's okay. And I think... But I think even I, that happened naturally for me because, and it was a result of some very big things changing in my life. So it, that happened. But where that doesn't, I think being a bit proactive with that friend colour, just revisiting, <laughs> say, do these people need to be in your life? Just being a bit proactive with it. I think it's a good thing. Yeah, and it, but then that and always... It's just a drama. Like, yeah, it does. Like, you do it, like, a bit proactively. Like, and, and doing proactively, <laughs> what I mean by that? Not like, I'm not going to speak to you again. Not that. But just sort of, like, I'm just... I'm going to ring you and see how long it takes. And you'd be surprised. Sometimes you never hear from those people Oh, mate, that's exactly what we're talking about today. And I think uh, keeping it obviously on brand, it is about your personal brand. And I think who you are as an individual, we've all got a personal brand, right? Whether or not you are uh, outside with your persona or, you know, you're in a public facing position. When we get to our 40s, that becomes really important because it then, it's all about that being being authentic and finally realising that for the past 39 years I might have struggled with being independently myself but actually now I've reached 40 there is this change that says you know what this is me this is what I'm doing you fit in I'm going to nourish the relationships that I that I need to and actually I put out something on my social the other day about Brené Brown I don't know if you saw it who talked about looking at friendships you know your friendships like your relationships you know putting in effort but yeah, that yeah, takes yeah. an understanding about who you are and what you're willing to give. So actually, yes, personal brand, it, it leaks into everything we do as people. And if you don't have people that align with that, then that's OK. Yeah. Just like yeah. if you don't have people that align with your personal, you know, your work brand or your business yeah. brand. Then, well, that's OK. I'm not going to work with them because there isn't this synergy. Yeah. And you would never. And it's funny. And, and that helps then. It, it brings you on to and it. And it does. It starts with everything. It's fundamentally about understanding who you are and who you're here for. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, as, as much as who you are, and who you're here, here for, ultimately, who you're not and what you're not here for. Mm -hmm. and, and being very OK with that. I'm not for you. I am not for you. And that's OK. And, it, and, and, and developing, I think, then. And this is one thing we talk about, particularly when we do personal brand with um, people, people of colour. I do, I do a specific workshop called the Power of Personal Brand for People of Colour, and we talk about um, the way that you can develop, you can, you can sort of develop markers 
that help you understand and help you listen out for stuff where it's like, I am not for you. Mm. And some are also that if there are markers where you can listen out and go, this is cultural feedback, but it's actually racism, mm. that as well. But we do mm. both, right? Because there's some markers which you're like, people will give you feedback and it's like, if you're saying this to me, then you are not for me. Mm. And then when you know that, you, you have a choice about what to do with that information. But what you don't do is let that person therefore shape or um, diminish who you are just because they're not for you. Now, That's I don't sad. mean that, you know, I think feedback is always a gift and you get some very useful feedback, but I think it's useful just to have that lens because if somebody in their feedback is asking you to be someone very different to who you are, then the, the issue is sort of with with that person or the context you're in. Mm. And either one is right. It means actually that person not for you or it could be actually this context is just not for me. But either way, we need to have our not for me markers so we don't get confused about that and allow that to come in and cut deep to who we are. Yeah, man, that's some powerful. That's proper powerful. And actually, oh man, my mind's just gone. It's, it's amazing how deep and meaningful this stuff is, right? And how once we get to the position of where we are and we know who we are, we know who we're not for, we know what we're not standing up for, we know, you know, who we should work with, who we... Fundamentally, it's about being 100% yourself and knowing who you are and what you want to do with that. Colette, I could speak to you for hours. And in fact, it's probably one of the longest podcasts I've ever recorded because you and I can go properly <laughs> down a hole, right? Like, it's, it's brilliant. But I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show today and talking to me about this really really important subject and I think we've covered all bases there is a lot of work to be done on an individual point of view but certainly on a brand and an organizational point of view where we cannot allow these organizational racist people business owners to continue to run these businesses where we have to we have to we have to reside right so thank you I agree. So my final word would be, I think when we acknowledge, I think there's three things and this has been a realization. It's something I've embedded in the work, but it really was came home to me in the last masterclass. It's something that a, a brilliant, our brilliant anti-racist expert, Martha Owajobi said in that until we need to, and, and Emma Dabiri says this too, fundamentally in order to, uh, to, to dismantle this stuff, we need to understand the true reality of race. Race was created for, to, for racism, that's it. It was created for racism, right? It was created, race was created to give, to to, to um, enable a divide between working class um, black people, in, so slaves and indentured white labor. That's what it was created. And we have to sort of understand and embed that and what that means for society. Mm-hmm. So when we start focusing on the structures that are racist, and what that means and step away from kind of, not step away from, of course, you will let, you get people to kind of tackle their individual racism too, but we need to look at the structures that are facilitating racism to continue. And actually brand is one of them. Brand is, and that's why we do the work we do, because mm. brand is one of them. Brands and marketing and that, and comms and that ecosystem is one of the, the structures that can perpetuate and facilitate racism, mm. which is why we do, it's one, not the only one, they're loads. But it's one. And I think when we start, if we if any, I would, my shout out would be for anybody doing and looking to this work, think about not only your individual actions, but also the structure that you can help dismantle. Mm. Think about what the structure is that you're going to look and, and help dismantle here. What's the structure at play? And that's, that's for me where it then becomes really powerful and you'll start having real impacts. 
fantastic. Right, like I said, we could talk about this for, for, for hours. But people can go find you where? Where can people find what you're doing, Colette? So I'm at Brand by Colette on Twitter, Insta, and actually LinkedIn as well. So I'm, uh, I'm Brand by Colette. Um, and we're Brand by Me HQ on Twitter and Insta. We would love followers, actually, because we've suddenly stepped up our game again after yeah, a bit yeah. of hiatus. Um, <laughs> and we'd love um, you to follow us at Brand by Me HQ because you will get some anti-racism brand sort of nuggets and wisdom. And head to our blog, brandby.me, because there's lots of kind of practical how-tos and where you might want to start thinking about this stuff yeah. there. And that's the one um, newsletter that I grab a cup of coffee with and a pen and paper, because there's <laughs> some seriously good nuggets in there. Colette, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you. Bye, everyone. You've been listening to the It Is What It Is podcast presented by Daniel Bridge and produced by Defresh Productions.